You're probably wondering why I'm in the Stereo Embers studios on Christmas Day. Well, the answer is simple. I have a gift that I want to give you. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Inside and outside, I like what I see. Inside and outside, you're the one for me. You don't pretend and you don't hide. Inside and outside, inside and outside, the weather's fine. Inside and outside, I can read your signs. The road is clear and open wide. Inside and outside, looking for the of my guest today on the program, Ariel. Let me tell you a little bit about Ariel. But before I do, let me tell you about the gift that I was mentioning a couple minutes ago. You're like, look, I love Ariel. She's amazing. But what about the gift? Well, here's the thing about the gift. The gift is conversation. I know how that sounds. It's like your friend says, I have a gift for you. And you're like, what's the gift? And they're like, unwavering loyalty and friendship for the rest of your life. And you're like, eh, I hoped it was a Tesla. All right, so before we begin, a quick primer on Ariel, and then we'll talk about the gift part of all of this. A guitar virtuoso who also is blessed with a four-octave voice, Ariel has played on stage with everyone from Queen in the We Will Rock You musical to CeeLo Green at Coachella. She opened for Guns N' Roses, Larkin Poe, and Hart collaborated with Eric Johnson and Kings and Daughters' Talia Dean, and appeared regularly on the TV show Nashville. This is a partial list, by the way. She studied at the Institute of Contemporary Music Performance in London, put out EPs and albums, including her latest, Analog Girl in a Digital World, and, in her free time, you know, she designed a guitar. The guitar is the retro-future BMG aerial that from a technical standpoint, is so beyond my area of understanding, I have to hand the ball to Brian May, who said of the instrument, it's a new dimension. To understand why this guitar was irresistible to me, you have to hold her in your hands. She's light, smooth, agile, and she sings like a bird. An activist, an artist, an engineer, and a master technician, Ariel's gifts are profound and powerful, and she's a lovely human being. Okay, so let's get to your gift, shall we? I'm sure you've gathered by now, it's not a Tesla. But listen, it might as well be, and here's why. Okay, let me back up before I tell you why. Every single conversation I have here on the podcast is resonant and valuable and cool. And if you ask me to pick a favorite, and people always do, I just can't. I can't do it. I know you think I can, but I can't. And the reason why is because I think every chat is connected. It's like... Every episode tags an artist 
and then they tap in to talk about the things that we just keep chipping away at every time we do the show. So what about this chat with Ariel? Well, it does exactly that, but something else happens here. We lock into this really deep groove, and yes, it felt like I was talking to someone that I'd known for years, but it was deeper even than that. It felt intimate, not in a weird way, but in a way that we were knocking on philosophical doors, and it felt like we arrived at a series of mutual understandings and discoveries at the same time. It was super cool. And listening back, I think that you'll be participating in those understandings and discoveries along with us. Hence, the gift part of all of this. Next year, we'll swap Teslas. This year, let's swap philosophy, okay? Does that sound good? All right, here we go. My conversation with Ariel. And by the way, I say my conversation, but I really feel like it's our conversation, honestly. All right, here we go. Me and Ariel having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Um, ever since, well, ever since COVID, I, I, I was out on the road most of, most of the time. So I didn't really have time to develop a, a consistent, um, like normal life, I guess. So I've been trying to figure out what that means to me and, uh, you know, what things I like kind of really basic stuff. Um, and in the meantime, it's, it's kind of blossomed into a few things. Like, uh, I started a nonprofit, um, you know, I'm playing a lot of guitar and um, trying to simplify what I've done in the past. So lots of um, music stuff, uh, walks out outside. Um, and uh, and yeah, I'm writing some new music for a new album that I'm working on, um, which is exciting because the last one I recorded in October 2019. So I'm pretty ready to, uh, you know, have something new. So is it one of those situations where suddenly you found yourself with a lot of daily life on your hands that you that you didn't really have before? Yeah. Yeah. And no, definitely not bored. Um, I, I'm not somebody who gets bored easily. It's more, um, what do I like? I don't know. Seriously. I mean, I didn't even really know what I, I know what I I was on the road so often. I, I had this kind of ongoing saying that I was never in one place longer than th- than three weeks at a time. Mm. That I just I just wasn't. So so yeah, it's um like you said, just stuff I I wasn't used to, and I'm still trying to figure out. <laughs> I guess yeah. it's good. Though. I'm grateful that I've had the time to do that. I think that's healthy. I agree with you, and I think in many ways one of the I guess you might call it the blessings of a really dark time is that it gives you time that you wouldn't have had to sort of go, all right, well, what, you know, what do I find joyful? What are my tastes? Um, What have you discovered just out of curiosity? Anything surprise you? Yeah. You know, I'm pretty simple. Um, Before COVID, I mean, I'm in many ways I'm not because I have really high standards, but I'm simple in what it, what it is that I want. Um, 
for example, so I was I was going back and forth a lot um, pre-COVID between the UK and the US. And I kind of wanted to make a duplicate life, like duplicate stuff. Like I could have a recording studio um, set up in both places. Like I could just do that twice. And now I'm realizing that that's exhausting. And to um, be a shep like a shepherd or a steward of stuff is tiring. Not, and I don't even have a lot of stuff. But I have two cars, you know, one in the U.S., one in the U.K., and you know, it gets it gets old, especially when I'm having to pay for things that uh, I'm not using, and um, you know, I'm not on the road and doing things I normally would. So in that way, I've started to simplify my life and feel the weight come off. Um, but then there's other things like I love trees, and I didn't realize how much I I love trees until I really started um, until this guitar came out. And, and then um, I started finding out more about the, the trees that I'm using as guitars. And that started a huge passion for me. So when I go outside, I'm looking up, I'm staring at the trees, trying to figure out like what trees which. And um, that's been really amazing. That's been kind of my, um, I guess my biggest uh, realization. And then, um, you know, with smaller things, like even though the way that I play guitar, it's the same way. I used to use all these pedals and then my pedal board slowly started to shrink where now I just, I just plug it into the amp and that's it. I just, I want to simplify everything. And um, that's taken a lot of time, effort um, and energy to do just to de, uh, deconstruct my life the way that it was. So it's, it's a process. What's really interesting about what you're saying is that it's almost like it's easier to double what we have and it's more energy to simplify. Um, yeah. Right. Even, even though in the end, a simple life will be an easier life, which will take much less energy. The process of getting there uh, is, is a, a, a rigorous one. Yeah. And you wouldn't think it again. I'm not somebody who had a lot of stuff like, I've heard people, my seniors say this to me before, and they've always um, kind of applauded me because I had a rule that if I have more stuff than can fit in my car, which is a Jeep Wrangler, then I have too much stuff. So again, I was somebody that, that was already following this. Um, but, uh, but yes, I completely agree with what you're saying that it takes more effort to simplify than it does to to create that kind of thing. But when you start getting rid of stuff, like that's when I started to realize I didn't care. It's convenient. There are conveniences, but they're not necessities. Um, like, do I have to have every um, size guitar string under the sun that just takes up more storage? No, I really don't. Do I have to have 5 billion pens? Do I, you know, and then times that by everything else. Um, and it just ends up being like, what the heck, how did this happen? So, um, yeah. And it's expensive too. Cause you know, a lot of times I'm shipping stuff to the UK and I'm like, or if you, if you take a plane ride and you want to ship your stuff, my guitars back and forth, back and forth, just like, you know what? I want to have like two guitars, which I have like five, so I can cut that in half, almost two electric, one acoustic or maybe two of each and that's plenty as a professional um 
you know, and just do that and not have to have double the wardrobe and have things that I really like and take the effort when it's time to go back and forth, say for a tour and make sure that it's worthwhile. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's been a journey. Yeah. And it's interesting that you're the things that you mentioned, pens, guitar strings, you know, I think people listening might have thought you would have said, do I need a huge couch? Do I need that massive TV? Do I need, these are small things that you're even paring down. Well, if you think about a, a TV and a, a couch, those are easy to get rid of in some ways. In some ways they're not like TV, someone can buy it from you or whatever, you put it up on Facebook marketplace and it's gone or or you have um, you know, a, a not-for-profit come and pick it up. There, you have options, which again, are time consuming and annoying. Um, but then when you have the smaller items, where do you put them in your suitcase? This mm -hmm. is, where do you put them in a box? Can you validate filling up space with that? And that's that's what it comes down to. Like at least a TV kind of makes sense. Like how many, when you start to have all this miscellaneous stuff and you have a box of miscellaneous stuff, it feels really weird to validate sending $115 uh, box of random crap in it so that's why I did mention the smaller ones because they're the they're the most difficult to deal with because there's there's too many of them this the tv is easy you know everyone could use one but not everyone needs 50 pens <laughs> that's true I mean you're you're right I mean I feel like you would have gotten along I was going to say you would have got you know get along really well with Marie Kondo but I think you'd get along better with Woody Guthrie and this idea of just like let's just let's just hit the road and go with what we have in our hand yeah you know what I, I find that the best, the things that I do best are spontaneous. I'm not referring necessarily to musically. I think rehearsals are important. But when you get caught off guard, sometimes you do things that have more of an attention to them because there is an urgency. That's I always like deadlines, not because I need to have them, but be, because they, they create a focus. Mm. And um, I think Woody Guthrie had it right where it's like, okay, how many stage outfits do I really need? Do I need to have two wardrobes? Like I could go to the store and get a couple things and be fine. Or maybe I get stuff on the road. It's not a big deal. Like why have I have I made everything so complicated? So yes, I like his approach a lot. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's sustainable. I think so too. Is there a part of you that has that cognitive dissonance where maybe you like to go shopping, but you don't like to have things? Mm, interesting. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, and and when you say shopping, I mean like um, for stuff that doesn't make sense, like I need to put something on the wall, right? I, I must have, I've got all these, I mean, there's an amp there, but I don't have any paintings or anything. So there's just all this empty wall, but I know that when I go to buy the painting or buy whatever, and I don't want it there anymore, that's like the pen, you know, unless you have like a super collectible, piece it's it's stuff that you're just gonna either recycle or give away you know and and to I guess that means that when I decide to have stuff it's it's not just because it looks beautiful or because I think it will create this like Instagram perfect bedroom but it's something that means something to me so when the time comes that I do move because it's inevitable with me it seems um I'm not going to be in the same predicament that I've been in over and over again. I'm like, that was really cool for the moment. I enjoyed filling up this space, but this part sucks so hard. It makes like 
the two years I was living at this place not worth it. So, well, are you a sentimental person about objects? A friend of mine says, I'm not sentimental about objects, I'm sentimental about people. Um, mm-hmm. Do you find, because this is, this is where the hoarders problem begins is right when you get too sentimental and you attach too much emotion to inanimate objects and you think they contain history and value and luck and um you know a kind of universal charge that they don't really have um then you have a real problem you're nowhere near that but are do you consider yourself to be sentimental about about things no um i think that's why i'm able to do what i do and I think that's why I'm trying to simplify everything so I can I can uh, heat it down to uh, distill it to the point that I'm trying to reach, which is it's not about the guitar pedals. It's not about I mean, it's not even really about the guitar, but for me, it kind of is. That's probably the only thing in the world that I'm sentimental about is my guitar. But it's not because it it's because it, it it's my tool. To me, it's the only one in existence that allows me to do what I do. But it kind of doesn't matter what I plug into. It, I mean, it does, but also it doesn't. Like if I use a back line, I can come pretty close. Um, and then everything else is just like fill in the gaps. So I'm trying to distill what actually is sentimental to me. The guitar is um, really basic. Like a toothbrush is important. You know, like certain things that make me feel like, okay, I'm human and like actually like healthy and hygienic and stuff. But other than <laughs> that and like the guitar, I mean, you know, it's all replaceable. And so I'm trying to find the balance. You know, I'm definitely on the other side of like, who needs stuff at the moment? Um, and I'm sure there's a balance there. Maybe I'm just going to be a minimalist and just not have a lot. Um, I don't know. But um but yeah, the guitar is the one thing I'm sentimental about. Everything else, for the most part, to me, is replaceable. And the memories that I have are just in my head, you know, or like you said, with people, um, things that I've shared and, and many uh, of which I haven't, but I remember, I remember them. Do you feel that there's a limit for you? So because as people in the world, as we live every day, we accumulate stuff, even when we're trying not to. Um, yes. Do you find there's a point where you go, oh, I've. I, now I'm freighted with too many things. I got. I have to divest. In, in other words, do you find that there's a moment where you go, "Oh, I've reached my limit. I'm I'm getting dangerously close to having too many things, little as you may have," and you have to sort of shed those things. I, I don't think you. I, for me, again, with the deadline, it always helps if I have a goal in mind because that's when I can realize where I'm at. If I'm just kind of meandering through life and, and nothing's triggering that thought. I usually don't have it. It's when I have to go and do something that I feel the weight of what I've been carrying of like, oh, so I'm putting all my stuff in my car and now I can see it all in one place of like, oh my gosh. And, um, and I do, I do this purging, um, often, maybe, maybe, um, again, once it comes up, which on the road, it comes up a lot, but I'd say like, maybe every six months I go through a purge where I say, what am I actually using? Then I have a rule. If I haven't touched it in three months, it's gone. Um, unless it's something that really is irreplaceable or something that I'm like, I've got a couple of guitars that I'm holding on to. Well, actually one guitar I'm holding on to. 
um, that is gaining value. But other than that, you know, I'm like, well, if I haven't touched it, it's gone. Or if I haven't worn it, it's gone. Um, so, so yeah, I don't, I don't feel the weight of it immediately, but I do pretty quickly. And then I purge everything and then the, it starts again. You know, it's, it's a, yeah, I know. I know. You know what I'm talking about? Like, not as a hoarder. I mean, just just living regularly. You go like, I don't know. It, it, it can be anything. You're in your car, and you need to have lots of pens in your car, and you need to have coins in your car, and then you, and then you have like fifty masks too. I mean, right? It's, it's, <laughs> I know. I even get to the point where where people, if they give me um, a Christmas card or a birthday card. My right. first thought is like, I, this is really great and I love it and I'm appreciative, but like, I'm not, am I supposed to keep this? Like, what, what am I, that would be a weird thing to keep. I'll display it for a week and then I think I'll have to throw it away. Um, is that no. a tough one? Uh, this is going to sound really bad. So, um, sorry, but like the only, re the only way I'll keep a card is like, if I think they're going to die soon, mm. then it becomes kind of a little. <laughs> I get what you mean, though. <laughs> uh, then I'll, uh, oh, it's so bad. But like, I mean, you know, other than that, it's like, I'm really grateful that you had that you took the time to do this i'll remember it and then i'm just gonna recycle it and i'm very sorry and please also do that with mine because i completely understand it but um you know if they're gonna die and that's like the one thing i have left i'm like i don't know and it doesn't i don't even think i've had that situation come up it just seems like that might be the one <laughs> right right so <laughs> terrible too so no no so if anybody under 70 gives you a card it's gonna be thrown away yeah, but I mean, probably. Yes. <laughs> I get it. I I totally get it. I, I mean, I think you are not like most people because I think people do tend to collect stuff. And mm -hmm. I went through this period of time where I started, I would walk into my house and I would go, if I were dead and someone had to walk in here, what would the, what would they think, right? Yeah. And I would like for them to think my my this is how how maybe considerate I am for the people who would be who would be taking care of such matters I want them to walk in and go well this won't take long <laughs> right oh my gosh I've had the exact same thought oh See? right I mean <laughs> or like what will they think of me if I'm dead like like if I don't like if I don't know if I have too many cups in my like living room like someone if if i died and someone saw that just then i would be mortified right yeah i mean it's it's uh yeah I, and i don't know if that's just guilt of other people having to deal with it or maybe like you've had to deal with that before or who knows what but but yeah there's there's something to that and i i think you're right people like to collect stuff and they don't move you know they don't do the whole thing the nomad thing or whatever traveling thing so they just get comfortable and they live in their house for 20 years and or more. Um, and to be honest, I have a lot of friends like that. I think it's because it's, it makes me feel more secure. Like I don't, if I don't have a, a place to ship something, I can trust, I can ship it to them and they're going to be home. Like that's, that's pretty convenient. So I'm really grateful to have friends that are like that, but me personally, it's, uh, it just seems like 
if you even mention the word moving, they're like, oh, I hate moving. I'm like, I can see why sure. you need 50 boxes just for your kitchen. Like, this, yeah. <laughs> it's also interesting to me because I, as I got older, I think I stopped caring about what people thought of me, you know, in terms of like, I wasn't really worried anymore. Whereas I think I used to be worried like anybody would. And so, but then I think like, well, if I were to die, this is just a very cheery Saturday conversation. If I were to, if I were to die and I'm worried about what people would think about me, even though I'm not even around to even hear it or like, why am I, who, what do I care about that for anyway? But yet that's still in my brain, like that kind of judgment of, wow, he had a lot of cups in his kitchen. <laughs> it's interesting. I don't know where it comes from. It's, um, yeah, I mean, maybe like when you're a kid and like, oh, you don't want to do that. Don't want people to think you're a slob. Like how these really simple, like I'm just existing in my human life and maybe I just haven't gotten to it yet, but I'm going to. Um, or it's been a stressful week and saving that time added something. But like, like you said, I think I've learned, I'm learning because it is a process. Uh, I'm learning how to um, have compassion for myself with that way with, with other people. Cause, um, this is, I'll just say it. Yeah. This is what my therapist said. She's like, if, if you talk to someone else that way, would it, would you, would it still be able to fly? I'm like, absolutely not. She's like, well, that's how you have to talk to yourself. Like, would you, um, bitch at somebody? Cause they didn't put their three cups away. I'm like, no, I mean, as long as it's not gross, like I wouldn't say whatever. I wouldn't even think about it. It's like, okay, well, apply that. So that's that's what I'm trying to do is apply um, what I would do for other people to myself because that seems to be difficult for me to do for some reason. It's a very compassionate way to live too. Yeah, trying. Try. I know, it's hard. It's It's also one of those things where we always want, it seems to be a reflex. Maybe it's not even a desire but it's a reflex that we always want what we, the opposite of what we have. Um, you know, if I walk into a house that where say my friend is a lawyer and he has a beautiful home with a pool and a thing. And I, and I look around and I go, wow, I want this, even though I really don't care either way. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's like this weird default reflex we have as human beings. Um, but it seems to me that you have staved that off. Like when you, you're not, you're not tempted by that. So if you were to visit someone with a beautiful home, you don't think maybe I should have something like this. That doesn't, that doesn't happen for you. Maybe used to at some point. And until I, uh, I was in a, I was in a relationship with somebody who was very well off and had a big, beautiful home. Didn't have a pool, but had a lot of nice stuff nice equipment and uh I learned when I was cleaning that house <laughs> not not like it I wanted it I actually enjoy doing it that always is like women and cleaning and like the weird sexist thing so uh, for some reason I feel like I have to bring that up but um <laughs> what... <laughs> sorry um I was choosing to clean it because when I get stressed out that's what I do and I was like oh my God, I'd have to rotate. I'd have to be like, I'd have, you know, I have my stressful moments. I bring out the, the, the mop and the steamer and I'm like, oh, but then I'm exhausted and I have to break up my cleaning into different days because I realized that 
to, to carry something so beautiful and um, um, impressive, like, I don't know all the terms, like, not everybody has to live that way. And heck, if you have the ability to live that way and have other people take care of it for you, then, then good on you. But I do know what it's like to have to try to take care of it when you don't have that or don't have, who knows? It's just, that's not the way that it was. And I realized pretty quickly that just cleaning a house bigger than say 1500 square feet gets old real quick um, to, to be just like dust. D don't even live in it for a month and see what happens, you know? And it's, that's stressful. And it requires the, the more stuff you have, the more stewardship you have on top of you. You know, you've got like for me, for example, I've got two, um, one priceless instrument and one very expensive instrument um, and I, and that's, it's, it's my biggest concern. I leave the house. I bought a gun safe for it. So just in case someone breaks in, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. really stressful. I hate that, but, the, but, but it would be worse if I lost it. So these are, these are responsibilities that are put onto my life. Like Brian May, for example, his, when he go well, he doesn't have the, the ownership, his guitar tech, Pete has to move this guitar with like security sometimes it, it gets its own seat on the airplane you know when you have something of real value it requires so much responsibility and and thought and care every time i check check my guitar I, i'm very concerned or it usually comes with me and i can't always afford it, an international plane ticket for my guitar um but uh yeah so when you have nice things it it comes with a with a cost that is bigger than what you know so when i see people with nice stuff i say congrats and then i'm just like it looks like whoever's taking care of it is doing a great job i'm glad it's not me i was walking down the street with a friend of mine um he he was a professional juggler for a living and he he was in town and we were walking down the street in berkeley and there was a beautiful car i don't know much about cars but i think it was like a lamborghini or something and there was a huge scratch along the side of the door, the driver's door. And the guy was there looking at the kid. It clearly had just happened. And my friend turned to me and he said, this is why we shouldn't have nice things. <laughs> and I got his point. We're sort of like, because now it's almost like your bandwidth, your emotional bandwidth for guarding your guitar. Like, how much do we really have in, in terms of um, you know, all the stuff we want to guard, one thing is enough to guard. That's, that's imagine if you had 10 of those guitars that were priceless, my God. And some of them are worth more than that car is. That's I mean, right. 350,000, not me, but some people like, you know, if you have a 59, 57 gold top Les Paul, that's a $350,000 guitar. I mean, can you imagine? It's not even a house. It's not even like, oh, don't steal my house. It's like, oh no, don't steal this object. You can actually walk away with like, that's stressful. So, and again, what you said with the Lambo, my friend has one and uh, he notices now that people throw rocks at him when he drives by. It's like, hi, hit me, I'm nice. Like it, you become a target for those things. Where do you park? Somewhere where some, you know, careless person like me probably was gonna open up the door and be like, oh, oops, like, you know, <laughs> not on purpose. <laughs> no, no, I get but, it. You know, so, yeah. Yes, stuff, stewardship, responsibility, like live life. Um, that's 
been this whole thing with COVID. It's just like enough with the, with the, oh, this will make my life better for sure. No, actually, I've spent this whole time undoing it, just undoing. And it's sad. There's part of it. There's part of that. That's really sad because it's, it's letting go of um, some stuff that I didn't know I'd even be sentimental about. And then when it's gone, I'm like, oh, that wasn't so bad. It's, it's interesting. It's also weird because sometimes you, you know, like I said, I used to be really sentimental and I'm, and I, I still am, but not as much as I used to be. And then there's a part of me that, that it kind of is sad to me where I go, well, where did that go? Like, am I just getting colder as, as I'm getting older? And like, I'm not, I don't feel the things I felt anymore, but I don't want to feel sentimental about a dresser. <laughs> oh. You know what I mean? I don't want to do, I mean, I think I still do, but I don't want to do that because I feel, I feel freighted down by stuff that I don't really, that is not practical to be freighted down by. I understand that. It's, uh, you know, and, and we can, we can pick if it's something like the guitar I've taken on, I've taken on that thing and the and the other one I could talk about openly now because he's talked about it but Pete Townsend gave me a guitar those two guitars in my opinion are priceless Mm. and I take them with me everywhere I go because uh, if I go you know for longer than a couple days or I'll keep them with a friend that's has them all the time because losing them would be such a bigger loss than the responsibility it took to maintain them. And that's how I know. But you can't do that for many things. That, I only had the one and I was tired. When, I, when the other one happened, I was very, very fortunate and then uh, came to the realization of, oh, right. Um, you know, but uh, I can't really take on many more of those projects. So it, it makes me wonder. It's a dresser, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, it just makes me, it makes me wonder about people who have like eight children. (laughs) How do you see, right? I mean, I don't even have one, like I would love one one day, but eight. Yeah. I think about that too. Like, thankfully they're different ages and like, well, hopefully. Right. And by the time you have like the eighth one or the seventh one, maybe like number one and number three are like out of the house I don't know like then you're like whatever they're fine okay let me refocus my attention on this but then they feel bad oh that just sounds oh right I mean good on you if you can do it but for me like it's just (laughs) I know I have two of my closest friends have one child and I always feel like that you must have trouble sleeping. You have one kid, you love them more than anything in the world. And, uh, you know, they go out, they leave, they do things. And you're like, just must be absolutely terrified of, of, for their safety, which is no late way to live. That's a terrible way to live. But you have such emotional investment in this kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I know. it's uh, stressful. Then yeah, yeah, I, uh, uh, it's something I'm like, I want to do one day, but I think about what you're talking about. I'm like, not for a while, I'm good. Yeah, I think it, when you have children, if you decide to go that down that path, I could see you having as many as the guitars that you have, two. I think two would be exhaust <laughs> your bandwidth. <laughs> After that, it'd be like, it's too many. 
<laughs> yeah. That's about it. Get the gun safe. Put the guitars in the gun safe. So at least, you know, those are okay. Unless the house burns down. And, uh, or sink or, or, or gets flooded. Oh, see? See what I mean? These are real things. These are real things. The only way to sleep at night is to put the guitars and the kids in the gun safe. <laughs> you'll Listen, sleep. Listen, little Tommy, you'll be fine here. You'll be safe, I promise. You'll be fine. Here's a, here's a Reese's peanut butter cup get through the night when you uh when you grew up did you I don't know what state you're from or where are you from well I grew up in uh I was born in New Jersey but then my parents which is like oh dear but then but then my parents moved uh we went to California uh we were in the Bay Area too uh we were in um like the Burlingame area um okay. and then I moved up north uh to Sonoma County and then um yeah, and then I went to um, L.A. So I stayed in California probably the longest, but since then, uh, when I was, well, 2009, I moved to London, stayed there. Then I went to Nashville and, and um, Texas, uh, to Austin, and um, I've moved around a lot. Uh, I'm in Philly right now. Um, yes, yeah, part of part of the uh, the nomad thing I was mentioning. But, uh, but yeah, so I guess if you were going to say that I were from a state, it would probably be California because I spent the most time there. But when I go back, I'm not like, well, I'm home. Like, it doesn't, doesn't feel like that. But, uh, but I know California better than, than probably anywhere else. Did you grow up in a house with a lot of things? Like, in other words, did, did, you, did your mother and father have a house that was, uh, I mean, freighted is the wrong word, but like, you know, those of us who grew up with parents who had a lot of stuff, uh, I think most parents seem to, um, yeah. right? Yeah, that's interesting. I guess it's just, you're overwhelmed. Uh, or maybe you need lots of stuff. I don't know. Um, I think they did. I think they had lots of stuff. I know my dad did. Uh, they got divorced. Uh, so I'm trying to think of like his apartment. I remember it was super crowded. But then my mom's place, she always got a house way too big. And then there'd be like nothing in it, which mm. is a little weird, like nothing in a couple of the rooms or like a couch. Um, so I'm not sure if the house was just big and she didn't have much. She had a lot of stuff, but the house was big enough where it wasn't all in one spot, like my dad's apartment. But yes, if I remember correctly, they had lots of stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. I used to have friends whose parents would have these sort of museum houses where it was like you couldn't sit on anything or touch anything so it was like okay. right it's like they, I mean they should have charged admission it was like a museum <laughs> and I thought what's the point I don't get the point of this you know um that ne I never understood that it didn't seem like it was a functional house though it was a beautiful house mm. yes yeah, some people like to live that way. I, you know, it's funny you use the term museum because a lot of what what uh, people like that are styling their their homes after is like that mid century modern kind of right. museum museum look. That's right. You know, everything is square, rectangular. Um, has the symmetry has to be just right, and it's it is beautiful, but uh, functional. Um, Um, but, you know, 
it sounds stressful to me. I, I, I've got a friend like that. When I go over, I'm like, can I sit here? Like, is it? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. you're so fine. Is that fine? I don't know. Am I allowed it's to be here? Anyway, can I be here? Where do I pay? <laughs> is there a kind of, I mean, there's a freedom on the road. And I think that was sort of, I read Woody Guthrie's book and you really understood the idea that like the world is my home, right? I'm at home. My home is not just four walls and a roof. My, my home is the world, um, you know, and you start thinking more expansively. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like you were talking about identity and, and, you know, California being the closest you would, you would call to like a home state? Um, are you one of those people that feels at home in the world, even when, let's just say you go somewhere you've never been before, does that feel like a homey place to you? As long as I feel safe, uh, like I'm not in a really bad area, um, that would make me wonder, like, is my car going to get broken into or am I safe here? Then yes. Uh, as long as that necessity is taken care of, even if I had nothing. Um, I think I do feel like I could make anywhere a home. Yeah. Maybe not forever, but enough. Yeah. Right. You don't feel, you don't feel disrupted by a new, by new terrain. No, I kind of need it. In fact, I, if, if I don't have new terrain all the time, which is why I like living in the UK because it's always new. Um, you know, I, I've gone around more than people who've lived there their whole lives because I need that constant new, oh, this is a town I've never seen. This is a, a, a place I've never heard of that. This is a visual that I didn't know existed. If I don't have that, uh, I get bored. And again, not bored. Like, what do I do with myself? Cause I, I'll just play guitar it, every time. That'll be my go-to, but Bored as in um, not stimulated uh, by inspiration. That makes sense because I, for example, I have a friend who's a writer and he can't write if the house is not clean. He just literally can't, he can't do it. And yeah. I wondered for you, do you feel that if you, on the same, very similar kind of thing where maybe if you're not stimulated with new area, new terrain, that creatively you don't feel as, as, um, as ignited. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned that about your friend and writing that makes total sense. Um, that's one of the things that I guess I started to acknowledge myself and, um, uh, our, uh, mutual buddy, Steve and I were talking about it's what, what, um, causes that inspiration, uh, to write a song and like what because because I, I think about like a lot of times it's a feeling um you know love will do that then it then it almost doesn't matter it can be driven by a feeling an intense feeling usually it has to be love because if I'm super depressed I'm typically not writing a song at least not right now in the past it hasn't been that way but right now I'm usually just like whatever but if it's love I can be driven by that. Doesn't matter where I'm at, but for the most part, I need to have a space that feels uh, clean, open, um, inspired, and that outside that door or wherever I'm at, there is something new 
um, kind of on the horizon. Yeah, that is that is um, kind of a necessity that I didn't realize I needed until I stopped being on the road. And I'm like, oh, why aren't I inspired? Why am I not as prolific as I am writing music? And I guess that's why I, I didn't think about it until you said it. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, because I, I wonder if that is, you know, we all get our inspiration from different places. And when that suddenly is taken away from you, where it's like, oh, you can't travel because there's some kind of, you know, awful um, pandemic. Um, And then suddenly you are in one place. You're sort of like a, um, you're like an artistic shark, right? Like you, (laughs) you have to keep moving. And suddenly you couldn't keep moving the way that you, you know, the way that you were used to. And that would totally explain why the creative output wasn't, wasn't what it was before. That's interesting. That makes me feel better because I was just like, I broke it. <laughs> no, of course you didn't break it. <laughs> it was just the, the world delivered a weird hand and you had to play it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that makes me feel better. Thank you, Alex. Yes, of course, of course. And I do think that there's something to be said about, um, like, like, for example, like an, I have a friend who's an adrenaline junkie right? Like he has to ride the waves that will kill you. He has to climb the mountain that will destroy you. He has to do that. Amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a thing. I'm not like that, but so for example, if we were walking in college, if we were walking on campus and I was telling him something, suddenly he'd be gone and he was climbing the roof of the library. He's, he's that person he had to generate a thrill where there, there was none. Um, but he recognized that early on in his life did you recognize early on that you needed to quote Woody Guthrie to ramble on, right? You needed to get out there into the world and ramble through terrain. Was that something that you recognized as a, as a young person? I recognized that I had to do it. I just didn't know why. I mean, I always knew that it, 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 um, I, I started to feel stagnant if I didn't, but then of course, you know, as I got older, and people tell me their opinions about it. Like, oh, you know, you're just running away. Like, I can tell the difference between me just getting up and leaving and running away because there is a big difference um, as far as how it feels and the energy behind it. It might not look different. Um, but yeah, I noticed it probably, probably when I was about 16. Mm. Uh, I, I moved out of the house when I was, when I was 15 just because things were were not um healthy at home so i i moved out early and then i i didn't know what to look for you know in a home so i'd move to different apartments and then i'm after oh i don't like that location or um maybe i don't want to live with an older guy or you know as a roommate or you know like random things that should be obvious that just weren't um or wow i feel like i'm in an unsafe area that like yeah i mean and then I started rearranging things. Um, and then, and then uh, I moved to the UK. I did the same thing there. You know, I think that's what it is. I'm, I'm trying to get, I always thought it was me trying to get somewhere. It wasn't necessarily me constantly moving. It, it was me moving closer to the one thing that I was chasing. Yeah. But I never found it. So in the past few years, maybe four, I'd say I've learned that I'm not actually chasing one spot. I'm learning how to um, 
be okay with the fact that like your friends are the adrenaline junkies. Um, I'm the one that gets up and leaves and, and people know me for that. They're like, I never know where you are. And I'm like, well, that makes sense. Cause I don't normally know where I'm going to be too. So that makes sense. It's a little embarrassing though. Cause to me, again, this is me worrying about what people think, but there's kind of a stigma around that, right? Like they're like, well, you're a gypsy. I'm like, well, no, cause not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know, like I'm just a wanderer. Or, you know, oh, you're just a nomad, don't like to be attached to things, don't like this and that. I'm like, well, you can't really put it in that easy of a box because it's not that simple. I wish it were, but it's not. So um, it is embarrassing. It's not It's not a um, lifestyle that everyone understands. Most people do not. Um, and I think that it makes people feel like I'm unpredictable, flighty. Um, I actually wrote a song about it. It's called Hummingbird. And it's on um sus- wait suspension dimension not my newest album but the one before that, and it was it's a uh, it's about what other people have said to me, and I had one person one friend of mine say you're like a hummingbird you know you leave food out for it but you don't know what's gonna come out and then it comes you're like oh yay and then it leaves and you don't it might not ever come back I'm like that's super depressing but I think I'm gonna write a song about it so um the song hummingbird is about what people have told me because it's pretty heartbreak breaking to hear from my friends like I don't want you to go I've loved that you were here and now you're going and you know people just know me for that now and that's that's it doesn't feel good but at the same time like if I don't do it then I feel bad so it's this double-edged sword of trying to be true to myself but also find a way to um express myself um openly with people so that I can still develop relationships and friendships um even though this is this is me it's I've tried to change it and 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 now I'm undoing that so it's uh yeah (laughs) well here's my take this is my take on hummingbirds but this is a sentence I've never uttered on this podcast here's my take on hummingbirds (laughs) (laughs) but here it is I they're my favorite bird because they show up, they're dazzling, and then they mm. leave so quickly that you miss them instantly. And they're so beautiful and so weird and and sort of um, idiosyncratic. It's like a it's like this beautiful cameo in your life that's brief. Whereas like a blue jay hangs out, a crow is ominous. A crow's looking at you like you might be dead in a day. Like you know, there's. I mean, I love all the birds, but the hummingbird is my favorite because you literally know you're going to get a second and a half and it's going to be dazzling. It's all you're going to get. So in many ways, the hummingbird is the coolest of birds. Oh, <laughs> I like the way you put that. And they can't help that they're hummingbirds. They were just doing what they do and, you know, they don't, because some people try to be like all mysterious and ominous and like I don't know leave to create that to like uh um to to recreate that feeling for people when I I don't actually I really don't like it it's so sad to to be like you know what I think I'm I'm done here and then have have friends be disappointed and people be disappointed it's it's not great but um but yeah I, I like that you said that There was a time you should have seen it Where we lived without the internet 
things were so much better then Slingshots and puzzles Coke that comes in glass bottles Pay phones to call us Take me back Take me back Cause don't
Well, I also know that hummingbirds, they get 3 million heartbeats in their life. And wow. yeah. And so it's like a metaphor for like, go out there and live it because, right? It's that's 3 million doesn't seem like that much when you think about it and their heart beats so quickly. Um, so it's sort of like, be a hummingbird, go out there and, right? And, and see as much as you can and dart around. And, you know, it almost sounds to me like you are, most comfortable when you are uncomfortable, not uncomfortable in the sense this is a scary area or um, this looks dodgy, but uncomfortable in the sense that, oh, I don't know, I don't know this place. Let me learn it. Let me see mm. what it's all about. Like that's where your comfort level seems to be um, most in the pocket. You're exactly right. Amazing. You're figuring out, the, I mean, I, these are things I think about and then they go away but I really should hold on to them because I forget. And then I wonder why I'm unhappy. It's like, haven't you learned by now? <laughs> you think. So you're, you're saying all these deep things that I'm like, you're, I don't know how you figured that out in an hour or however long it's been, but it's amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, for me, it's like one of the things I have become comfortable with and, and I, and I always resisted it for years is that, I'm uncomfortable when I feel like I'm doing all the things that people do, right? Like I thought to myself, I'll never be able to ask someone to marry me because I can't come up with a way of doing it that doesn't feel like a cliche, you know, like oh. look under your look under your placemat or whatever, <laughs> like <laughs> wonder what that is in your souffle. I mean, you know, it feels very, one time I went to a, a bachelor party and I just, I felt like I was wearing a big dirty cape. You know, I just, I don't like the feeling of doing conventional things. I've always lived unconventionally, not in an obvious way, mm -hmm. um, but in, in a subtle way that I've always been very, really aware of. And conventional life really, though it might look like I live one, I don't. And I have become really comfortable with that um, in the last couple of years. It took me a while to, to embrace it. You know, I recognized it, but I never embraced it. And I've, I've really embraced it now. Um, and I, and I kind of feel we're kindred spirits in, in that regard, in the sense that I don't, I don't regret not becoming a lawyer and, and making $10 million a year and, and, um, and living in a house with a, with a racquetball court. Like, I don't really care. I don't really care, you know, and I, I just don't. And, um, I'm, I really admire the fact that you have embraced your unconventionality so early on in your life like that's really cool to know yourself that way and to not really worry because we do as human beings we do worry about what people think and it's it's nice that you that that you aren't burdened by that thank you it's uh i don't think about it until i see people's reactions um like when people say I never know where you're going to be or where are you now? And they say it sometimes, usually they're, they're just being curious, but then I get a little bit like, have they figured me out? <laughs> <laughs> they all figured you out. It's fine. Like, Oh no, they're going to, they're going to think. I, and then I make up what they think. Cause they don't tell me, you know, it's just, I appreciate that. But yes, I, I don't think about it until they bring it up. And then, everyone's, you know, I mean, not everybody, but for the most part, people are, are accepting about it. And uh, I still, I still have more work to do, you know, uh, 
after what we've talked about on about on here is uh, has been really helpful. Um, I feel like I should be paying you now. <laughs> You've done a lot more than my therapist sessions. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I have a lot to a lot to work on still, but um, but yeah, because I'm not quite as as free with it as I I wish that I were. I still settle sometimes when I don't want to, and then I wait for things to blow up. Just I'm like, well, at least it's not because I'm a nomad, <laughs> but it still is. Are you? Are you someone who checks in with your friends a lot? Like, do you do you reach out on the phone? Are you one of those people? I'm terrible with texting. Because uh, if I am around someone, I'm usually not by my phone. Um, I, I'm terrible with, with that. But I, I do have a select group of people that I talk to. Um, and then, and then it kind of changes. Like I, I check in with people. Usually they check in with me. Um, and I think that's just because they see a post on Instagram or something that I do for business. I'm usually not super personal in there, but people will check in on me. Um, I actually do have a list that I try to remind myself, not because they're not important at all. It's just my brain is focuses on one thing and I don't see anything else. So sometimes I, I do have to prod uh or ignite kind of that spark to um remember to talk to people um anyone it's not even a matter of importance like if if i'm in a relationship with someone or like my closest friend anyone other than that including like my mother i'll forget about not because they're not important just my brain's this and then um i i come back up and i'm like oh yeah so it's I try to be good at it. I'm, I'll admit I'm not. And thankfully, I'm very fortunate to have friends that understand uh, the way that I work. Um, and when they need me, they know that I'm there um, because I, I will show up. Um, even, I mean, I've, I will get on a plane from the UK to the US for someone, and I have before. I'm, I'm really good when you need me. I'm not always there. I'm not the greatest at just casual stuff, mm. but yeah. I get that because I think that, and especially with the pandemic where you can crawl into a creative space and a couple of days can go by and you're like, have I showered uh, or spoken <laughs> to people? Have I, what kind of a human being am I? Um, because I'm a writer and I, there are times where like I challenged myself to write a new book during the pandemic and I did it in three months and it oh was like, God. I'm doing it. Right? I'm just doing it. I thought there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to do it. So I knocked it out short, but it, but I, it was complete. And sometimes, you know, a day would go by and I, got, and I would go, what does my voice sound like? I haven't used it. I haven't used my voice. Wow. Today, right. And that's, that's a weird thing. The podcast has been great because everybody was around. So I was, ta I was talking to people, um, you know, a couple of days a week because every musician was home and accessible so that was really great. Um, musicians were my closest friends during the pandemic because I was really talking to them so much. Um, but it's true as a creative person, time can go by and you're like, it's dark outside and like, what's happening? Have I eaten? Where, what's going on? 
Um, <laughs> so that that is, I mean, as a creative person, as well as a, a person who likes to get out there into the world, those are two very um, interesting places to occupy because they you can do them alone and you don't they don't require other people. So sometimes you might forget about human relationships that could happen. Absolutely. And like you said, like if I'm out working and I'm on the road, it, that doesn't happen. It, it is the creative space where I do forget to eat. Like sometimes for days, it just doesn't even occur to me or I don't feel hungry. Like if I don't feel it from an like outside thing, like body tells me I'm hungry. Oh, I guess I'm hungry. If I don't feel that uh, stimulus from outside, it just doesn't happen. And I, and I try to explain that to people. It's not personal. Like I do it to me too. Um, so yeah, me alone for long periods isn't good probably for that reason. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you can relate to that because, um, not everyone understands that. And again, I do feel bad. I don't want to make anyone feel like they're not important, especially a friend of mine or, um, you know, like I was not timely, which actually I usually am, but I, I screwed up. And, uh, you know, and then I feel bad because I don't want to be like that. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a work in progress. That's for sure. I have found with relate, like romantic relationships, I think I'm a tricky sell for a while, for a long time. <laughs> I do. I really do. For a long time. I was like, why don't, why don't people love me the way I think I should be loved? But I also, I, I think it might be more me than them. You know, I realize I am not an easy sell because of all the stuff we've talked about. Um, yeah. You know? I think it's so funny that you phrased it, I'm not an easy sell. Um, <laughs> and I laugh because I, because <laughs> I can totally relate. Like, I'm like, why? And it's not to be mean, but it's like, why would you want this? Like, you don't even know what you're getting yourself into. I'm a pain in the ass. Like, I'm yeah. not going to deny it, but when someone agrees, I get upset. <laughs> <laughs> Funny you brought that up. I was going to say you are a pain in the ass. And you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then I cry. So that's good. You see, like these, I'm not an easy sell either. So, but, but then I see other not easy cells, which I'm like, well, they have someone. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Right, like, like how, like Robert Plant seems happy, and I think he wasn't an easy sell. I'm sure. I mean, so. that's see, like for example, my last relationship. I remember we were sitting on the beach, and I was like, not freaking out, but I was like, I'm not comfortable just sitting here on the beach. Like, I, I need to be. This it felt so conventional to me because everybody else. I looked around. Everybody else was just sitting on the beach mindlessly and. I'm very allergic, like I was saying, to sort of like looking around and seeing everyone doing the same thing. That really yeah. freaks me out. Um, I've said this before, but there's there's a video for Yes, have a, have a song called Owner of a Lonely Heart. And the video is like business people walking down the street. At the end of the video, the main guy turns around and walks the other way. And that's me. I've always felt like I'm the other other way guy. And um, when, I'm, when I'm in the throng of people and we're all doing the same thing, I, I it makes me lose my my like I cannot keep it's hor it's a horrible feeling for me. Um, 
So in that way, I'm not an easy sell. I'm a nice person. I'm, I'm emotionally present. You know, I was raised by a therapist. I'm, you know, I'm there. I'm, 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 I'm present. Uh, I think I'm, I think I'm a good partner, but in the sense that like only if we're doing non-conventional things, that's like, that's hard. I don't know what those things are. I can't go to, there's no, I, you know, I'm not going to Disneyland. I can't do stuff like that. Yeah. I think it's neat. And I'm like you too, like in, in, uh, I've had the same thing in, in relationships. It's like, do you want to go to the movies? I'm like, and I mean, no. And like, or if they're <laughs> short answer, <laughs> like oh, sit in the dingy thing with old popcorn and some guy laughing at the wrong time. Like, I, just, I don't know. I just, I'm completely there with you. If I see a trend of any kind, everyone, everyone's jumping on the bandwagon for something. I don't like it. I don't even care. I don't even care if it's good. It's like, oh, this is super food. Oh, this is the best guitar pedal. All that. I'm like, whoa, there's something wrong. Because if everyone's doing that, it's freaking me out. I'm exactly the same way. But but the funny part is that I don't know what's not conventional. Right. So we get to figure it out. So you'd be like, well, it's not that. It's like, well, you don't like to do anything. I'm like, no, I love doing stuff, but just not that. What do you love to do? Well, I don't know. Like. <laughs> just find an find an opportunity like i know well we'll um like you could have let's go to the park and like well that sounds really boring let's go to the park and then collect every leaf and then like we'll figure out what tree it's from and then we'll compare it to like i don't know or or we'll go on google um earth and we'll find like we'll we'll spin it and then hit a random spot and then we'll go there or um i don't know like unconventional like um i don't know i tried to catch a swan once at the park <laughs> what <laughs> like the bird you know yeah. apparently apparently in england the queen owns the swans so i was like and they go and count them every year it's a real it's a thing the queen owns all the swans and uh and i was like well i want to catch a swan i want to see how they do it and i couldn't do it but that was unconventional and i had a good time <laughs> okay so so all the, the three things you just said sound really fun to me like those sound like cool things but i imagine if like all that sounds great if you met someone and you said here are three possibilities of things we could do we could catch a swan we could do the leave thing we could go and go they might go can we just go to the movies that just be so much simpler absolutely not absolutely not yeah no. i'm with you yeah and and that's the thing is that when you put me in a situation where i feel that i am just like for example the fourth of july let's all go watch fireworks i would think like can we not i do yeah. not want to do that you know no thanks. no thanks and so i always feel i'm always very suspicious that if something gets really popular it has to on some level suck <laughs> right like it has to because i can't think that it couldn't be that accessible to that many people and not be flawed i wonder the same thing because because like you said it seems like it like when you mentioned yes owner of a lonely heart like that's that wasn't like a major hit you know but that's really freaking awesome like who's more popular yes or or like again, not same timeline, but like Britney Spears, for example, you know, why is that? Well, I know because 
there's only a select group of people that can really understand the greatness of that band for whatever reason. I don't know. But for some, but like you said, like you can, you can spoon feed stuff that maybe isn't as great, but people love it. There's gotta be, there's gotta be an element of, of uh, something not good in there. Cause it, you, wouldn't there be a lot more healthy people? Like, and I don't mean healthy necessarily physically. I mean, also emotionally, if, if it's like, hey, you know, it's I know the meditation kind of uh, kind of got a kick for a while. Transcendental med- meditation had like a small moment, but like I know what's great. What's great is when you you know really accept who you are and work on this. And like, wouldn't everybody be doing healthy things if the actual good good things were trendy? I, I'm with you there. And I think the answer to that is yes. I mean, I, I do think so, and I think that. You know, part of the problem is that people don't want to challenge themselves intellectually. They'd rather turn off their brains and accept what's given to them because it's easier. Like, for example, like Mm -hmm. I teach college for a living and, you know, like I said in my class, I'm like, you guys all seem like really nice people, but how how many of you actually know where your clothes are made? Like, what if the stuff that you're wearing Mm -hmm. was made under horrible conditions by people who are underpaid and abused, wouldn't that be worth looking into? And the answer to that is, yeah, we wouldn't want anyone to suffer to make a shirt that we're wearing. But how many people looked into it? And the answer to that is probably none of them because it's too much work to go, now I have to purge my closet and buy only sustainable, right, uh, clothes that were made by people in that were getting paid a fair wage and not abused. And um, that's too much work. It's easier just to walk into Old Navy and just go, I'll take all that stuff there, right? I mean, that's the problem is I think people don't want to challenge the way that they that they live because it's easier not to do that. It's a good point. And uh, and a good point not to follow the trends too, because it is, you're like, oh, you're just doing the easier thing. But then see, I, I that, that's, you made such a good point because it's like, I have this thing that I'm trying to get over that I'm working on it, which is because I'm like you in that way. How do I just accept the fact that I'm a, like you had the term best, a hard sell because I'm not going to just go do that. I I'm, I'm the same way. Like I saw um, blackfish and then the, the, uh, the cove. I don't go to places like, you know, that like Disney, uh, Disneyland, Disney World, whatever, um, or any places that somehow support that even certain airlines support like captivity with these animals. And I'm really, it's like, well, you don't like to do anything. It's like, I have to, and a lot of people could validate that I'm a pain in the ass because of how picky I am with certain things. I'm like, well, it's because I care. And yes, it, it does make my world a little bit smaller as far as what I'm willing to do. And uh, it makes other people, some other people uncomfortable because it's not, it's not easy with me. And uh, I might come with you as a compromise, but I don't like it. But at the same time, it's like other people have to be, well, they don't have to, but hopefully they would be open to also being um, a little bit out there and uh, do something unconventional as well. But it's usually not reciprocated because if you're unconventional, you're weird. So right, exactly. To- 
exactly. You are right. And, and I'm willing to risk popularity, right? Because I realize it makes me feel better <clears throat> to not be doing the things that are acceptable. You know, I always think about Socrates where it's sort of like, you know, arrested for being a heretic and corrupting people with bad ideas. And then they said to him, just tell everyone that what you said was a lie and you don't have to take the hemlock and die. And Socrates is like, I'll take the hemlock and die. And it's like, that's integrity. That's, that is about the, about the highest version of integrity that you're willing to die for what you believe in. And because the other stuff will kill you anyway. Yes. Right? Yeah, it's true. I love that you brought that up. It's true. You just have to be whatever you feel. And now, you know, it's starting to become more accepted among, you know, uh, a lot of different areas, um, you know, as far as uh, uh, LGBTQ uh, or, um, you know, with racism and things and being open. But and and sexism and and all the stuff that people have these judgments for whatever reason um but then there's also these elements of just on a simple simple level of when we stop putting people in boxes of what's normal or conventional or not conventional and just be like cool just be you like i think it's on a broader sense we focus on certain topics because they're important but i hope in the future those topics soften where it, we can actually look back and see it's not just the box that needs to be accepted, but the the human it themselves itself because because there there's so many dynamics and dualities there that if we just accepted people regardless of what box they are put in for because in many ways you kind of have to be at this point. Um, I hope I hope we can back up from that and just accept it. It uh, it would make it easier. But like you said, it kind of doesn't matter because either way, you have to be true to yourself, and um, it just makes it hard harder. It does, yeah. and people people don't realize that the boxes that they're putting people in are boxes of their own design. The boxes have more to do with with the person putting them in the box than the person that they're boxing up, right? And, exactly. And I think that that's sort of the. Um, the really interesting thing that people are missing, you know, when you say like, oh, I'm gonna, this person is this, this, and this, it's like, that's saying more about you than about them. Right. That, right. that helps you understand them. Or at least you think if you can, if you can label them as, oh, you're a gypsy or you're this or whatever, then yeah, like you said, it, it allows them to understand it to their brain, but that's not just because you can call it something like if, if, uh, certain things don't have words for them but they still exist uh you know right. so it's i'm with you i think and, well there's also that you know walt whitman had that great line i'm large i contain multitudes and it's like people are people aren't just a single story or a single narrative people are complex and um sometimes a lot of times when people wanted to sort of box people up they're not really giving um, any kind of um, allowance to those complexities. Absolutely. And for me, anytime, I've noticed that anytime I am internally judging someone, it's it's for something I do. I can see it happening. Like, um, I'll get impa- it's, it's always stupid stuff. It's, n- it's not usually this big thing like, oh, um, 
why are they so indecisive? It's like, oh, I know because I'm indecisive and I see them doing it. I don't like it about me. There you go. You judgmental asshole. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's what that looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So if we had more understanding of ourselves and compassion, instead of it being selfish, arrogant narcissism, that, that also has that um, tonality to it, but literally compassion for ourselves, like, or myself, I, I find it's easier, um, or again, um, to flip it, if that doesn't work, to be like, really, is that actually what you would say to someone else that you're saying? Like, sometimes it, you, it's, it either has to be what I would say to somebody else, or, um, what I would say to myself, depending, it, it depends on what mood it is or what it is, what's, um, but that allows um, more space to, to have patience and to understand and to stop judging. Because um, I really do think it's hard. I think that most people are just judging themselves so hard that it just pools over to everybody else. And that's sad. And it's not our fault, but it's good to know. You know, we if we have the capabilities to learn that, I think, it would make life easier because, um, you know, when you have a, just a bad day and at least for me, I go out into the world and I'm just like, I don't want to show that I'm having a hard time on my face. Um, but like, it's going to probably show up anyway. And I hope that even if I look funny or maybe, maybe I don't feel as talkative as I normally do. I hope that they understand that, um, to be a little bit more gentle with me today instead of just being upset. And when people are, I feel grateful. I feel like, wow, this person has, uh, I don't know what better word to use than like grace or patience or mm-hmm. um, compassion. It makes me feel better than when I go out and it, that doesn't mean I treat people like, like crap. Like maybe I'm just a little bit, like I, I just look off instead of like, I, I, I was, ha- I've had a hard day today and I was at the post office and, um, my box didn't look that great. I didn't tape it up. Right. And it, it kind of had to be done quickly. And someone laughed and I was like, it's really not like, it, it, it sounds so silly, but I was like, if you understood the situation I was in to have to, to it, it, for this particular thing, you, you would understand. But then, the, then the person, um, you know, when I was running another errand had, was gentle and compassionate and, and could tell there was something off, you know, that makes a big difference. Uh, it makes a big difference in how I, perceive um maybe it shouldn't but if nothing else it just makes me feel like it's okay where i'm at it's okay to be where i'm at in public because otherwise i just want to hide and not um you know be a burden on people or um, be anything less than presentable yeah it is hard and it also is one of those things where i think some people are so intuitive that they can that they can read you and give you that grace that you need uh, or recognize something in you and not just think of you uh, in sort of like uh, just another person, but they treat everybody sort of, you know, um, on, on a person by person basis, right? Like, uh, because sometimes we do have terrible days and sometimes we're not up for it. And it's always lovely and it always feels very humane when somebody is gentle with you and they recognize something about you that you don't even, and they don't even know you. Yeah, that's really neat. That gives yeah. me hope because there are quite a lot of people like that. 
uh, at least that I run into, you know, that you wouldn't even necessarily expect. And like you said, maybe they don't even know that they're doing it, but it's, uh, I try to hold on to that. Um, that, that helps that actually, that's probably given me more healing than, than, uh, than anything else I could do on my own. It's just being like, you know, when people understand and accept, and even if they don't completely understand it, they accept it and say, that's okay. You know what? That's good that you're doing that. Or that's the right thing based on where you're at. Or I, I can appreciate that. That's what you feel like you need to do. That's kind of what gives me, gives me hope. And sometimes people forget that, that people can be very sensitive. I mean, I, I always think of Saul Bellow. He had this great line where he described one of his characters as an open wound of a person. Yeah. There are times where I feel so sensitive. And I think, I don't think people sometimes understand that about me, um, that I feel so sensitive, like the world just kind of hurts some days where it's just like, ah, it's too much. It's, um, do you feel that way every time? Like, like it's almost like a, um, not that, that you're too sensitive for the world, but some days you just feel like it's so, it's just too much. I feel that way. I feel that way often. And you know, I, I feel it less now, but because of COVID, because it has slowed things down, but I felt it a lot. There are some days that feel like on different levels, sometimes it feels like, you know, I think social media has done a lot of that Mm. um, where I can't keep up. I don't want to show every part of my life. I don't want to do a selfie or I don't want to have to do these like, you know, I, sometimes it can be basic things. Like I, earlier this year, I got appendicitis and uh, I've been dealing with all the hospital stuff. It's like, you can sit, I can sit and complain about it too, but it's the way that things are, but I don't like the way that things are sometimes. It, it makes me feel like they're wrong. It makes me mad because not because of me, but because of other people who maybe can't do what I'm able to do. Like to, to have large amounts of debt because of something out of your control. Uh, you know, just, just so you can be healthy. And, uh, and then, and then I hold on to what's wrong in the world because I get triggered and I know that that energy can be useful and, and it causes change if, if, you know, that's where you're led to with it. You know, a lot of my frustration with the world has, has caused me to want to do good things and to fix them. But sometimes it does, it just feels like the world is too much. And it, it feels, it feels like, um, if someone looks at me wrong, says something I, I it hurts it hurts like even I have days where I'm like well I got out of bed so that's a good day and try not to like judge myself so hardcore for that but it happens a lot and in so many areas um again a lot of people don't understand that um especially when if all you can do is get out of bed and like anything else after that is like bonus. That's hard to explain to someone who might not understand that or who doesn't uh, feel it that deeply. So yeah, I can relate with what you're saying. It's hard. It's hard. It's really, it's, you know, I mean, it's hard to be a person is basically yeah. what it comes down to. <laughs> it's just very hard to be a person did the appendicitis really throw you off I mean did it sort of was that kind of a uh, a scary thing well um well I didn't know I was sick um my my boyfriend at the time I mean 
if I get stressed out, I get really bad, like heartburn, just this burning in my stomach. And, um, you know, I have ways that I, I try to make it better, but that's kind of my body's way of saying, Hey, you're really stressed out, figured out. Um, so that, that's all that was happening. It wasn't the pain that I thought it was. And, uh, and my boyfriend's like, Hey, you should, you should probably go to the, go to the hospital. And I was like, nah. And, uh, it was, it was January 2nd. So I had just gotten new insurance, uh, at, at like three, two or three in the morning. And I went and, uh, and they're like, oh yeah, you have appendicitis. I was like, really? Like, I thought I was just going here for no reason. Like I was in a lot of pain, but I really didn't want to go to the hospital. And, um, and they made me, they made me go in, in the ambulance, um, because they needed to move me to a, a bigger hospital to do the surgery. And I would say between the ambulance ride and uh, after the surgery were really important to me. I've always fought with the idea of, of being a musician and the value, a songwriter, uh, and, and the value that I add on the planet. And I always said, well, I'm not an EMT, you know, I'm not saving people's lives. I'm not um, actively um, making things better in that way. You know, I, I just write music. And it was interesting. I've, I've always used EMT as that. And of course, there's an EMT with me in the ambulance. And I'm, I'm talking to him. I'm fine. I was like, I didn't want to. I told him, I was like, I'm going to drive myself. They're like, no, you're not. I was like, I'm driving. I don't want to pay for this later on. They're, and he's, they're like, well, you're under our care now, so you have to go. And I was like, fine. So I'm in the in the ambulance. They got me hooked up to all this stuff. And I was talking to this guy. And he's like, what do you do? And I was like, well, I'm a musician. Really? And he's And he kind of looked me up on his phone. And he's like, that's amazing. I have to tell you something. And I was like, what's that? And he's like, you know, I, music is so important to me. It's, it's saved my life. You know, when I think about being a musician um, or, or, or music and what music has done for me, I feel like it's more important than my job. And I've looked at him like, and I felt like utter crap. And I'm pretty sure I was on morphine and whatever else they're putting through this thing. And I was just like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. And he was telling me all this stuff. The EMT that I've always said, well, I'm not an EMT, said to me that uh, how he felt about music. And it actually, um, it was it was amazing um, to feel that kind of connection with somebody who um, in that way, uh, he was saving my life, but um, made me feel more purposeful. And, um, and then I got, I had the surgery and this and that. And I was definitely um, the youngest person there, probably the least sick um, after my surgery. And they make you walk around, you know, with the stick with your stuff hanging down. And I was, I couldn't really walk very well. And I was like, wow, now I, I mean, and I remember pacing. You just got to keep looping and looping because I keep walking. And I'm like, okay. Um, and I had the thought, I was like, my life is going to change after this. I had never been, well, till I was young, nothing like that, you know, broken arm, or whatever, stuff like that. Nothing I had to stay there for. It was really, um, sorry, that was really long-winded, but I knew that something would change in me. Um, again, it's part of the adventure, right? Um, part of the nomad thing. I've got to experience it all. Um, where it, it brought, 
a level of compassion and and um, gratitude for my health and what I'm able to do and um and I've carried it with me and now uh you know a level of like my insurance said it, it was a an elective surgery and fighting them and and uh and I was just like you know um and uh, nothing to do with politics just on a basic level that they charged fifty four thousand dollars for an acute appendicitis surgery for a day and a half of being at the hospital. $850 of those were a COVID test to check to if I had COVID. And I've told every single one of these, I've fought these people and I was just like, what you're doing is wrong to where, you know, I've, I've fixed most of it. But you know, it's, I feel like there are so many things that, you know, that makes life hard. I don't want to go to the doctor. If, if I feel sick, I'm afraid to go to the doctor. How many people are like that, you know? Um, so uh, it's it's brought in, that, those kinds of things make life hard. But um, but I, I've, I've taken the lessons of that um, deep uh, to heart. I, I consider that a very expensive life lesson. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, in time, like with what Music Care does, uh, Music Cares does, they do amazing oh, yeah. stuff for musicians, those kinds of things, you know, maybe just supporting them more, really um, uh, trying to support other people who've been in that situation times a billion, way worse than mine. So, um, yeah, so. Well, I remember, I always thought that if you had a book out or if you had an album out, I just figured you were living in a castle when I was a kid. I was just like, <laughs> right. I was like, because like my my heroes were musicians and authors. And as I got older, and I, I remember when the Sweet Relief records came out for Victoria Williams, who had MS. Um, and there was another one I can't remember, but I remember all these great musicians came together and covered her songs and they, you know, raised a bunch of money for her. I remember thinking like, but Victoria Williams puts out albums. She's, she, surely she has money. And it's like, no, she doesn't actually, or health insurance. Um, you yeah. know, I think I, I've put books out and I haven't, I, I don't live in a castle. Um, and, and it's one of those things where you realize that like, as you get older, that there's a practicality, all my favorite bands, um, you know, have day jobs, you know, like if I look at all my the people out, my heroes, they, they all had day jobs. And um, there is something about the practicality of just something as simple as medical insurance. Um, you know, I have a friend who's an actor. He'll, he'll try to get as many, as many, um, jobs as he can so he can qualify for the yearly insurance through SAG. Um, you know, again, it's not a conventional path that we've taken, <laughs> right? But, That's for sure. Right. So was there ever a moment when when you kind of went, wow, it would have been a lot easier had I been an accountant or did that never even occur to you? Just kind of went, this is this is just a, a lesson to be learned. Oh, it's a thought. It's a thought I've had many times, but it, it doesn't it doesn't go for, very far because back to what we were talking about, you know, it'll kill you either way and you'll die either way. Right. It's like the regret regret um is probably one of my least favorite emotions when i can feel i need to do this so strongly if i ignore that it's very unpleasant doesn't last very long ends up with a lot of resentment i can't go on like that for very long so it's not really it's a thought i can have like 
I've, I've had many times notebook out. All right, what should I do? That's not a musician. Cause I'm tired of this crap. And then I'll, I'll get there and I'll be like, <laughs> I could be an arborist. I'm like, well, that would get so old. All right. Um, marine biologist is pretty cool, but I don't, there are a lot of things that I like about that. And, and, and then that's as far as it goes. I'm like, ah, there's no option. There, there's, there, there's no option because I'm doing what I love to do and I'm finding an issue with it. So now I'm saying I'm going to just change out the, um, the thing. And then I'll have other issues that I like even less than this one. <laughs> so, so it, does, it doesn't go very far. It just ends up being, you know, figure it out. But uh, I think about it a lot. I do too. I mean, I opted to teach college and it's sort of like, that's not the most lucrative choice, but it just made the most sense to me at the time. And I, I opted to be a writer because there was no choice. That's who, that's who I am. Um, and I love the podcast. These are, these are not things that are, um, you know, financially remunerative. I never really cared about that. I never was driven by money um, ever. But there are, but there are times where you kind of go, maybe I could have simplified my life, made it easier had I been, um, mm -hmm. but I'm, but I'm not. And I, and I never was. Um, and so, so that doesn't keep me up at night at all. It just doesn't. But you're right. Regret is ugly, isn't it? Regret is sort of like, I don't like to live in that space because I think that the problem with regret is that you always divine a really great outcome. It's totally intellectually dishonest. It's like, if only I had uh, kept dating so-and-so, we'd be married now and living in a great place uh, with a swimming pool and four children and everything. And it's like, okay, but what if you married them and it, it ended up with one of you burning the house down and fleeing to Guam? I mean, why does it always have to be a positive outcome when we regret things? What if it would have worked out worse? That's the thing. And that's that's the um, the reality of it. I think in a lot of ways, like yeah, it, it, I, I like that you said that because um, that's kind of what snaps you back. I've had that moment where the exact same thing. Oh, I should have stayed with this person. And it's like why you were miserable. You think if you got married, it would have made it better. It would have made it harder for you to leave. And then instead of like Guam, it would have just been like. <laughs> The nearest like domestic violence shelter because that's all you had because you lost all your money like it could be worse yeah oh geez yeah it's um gotta do what feels right however i've learned to wait a second before i act on it because i still cannot yet differentiate um reaction versus response okay so a lot of times my first instinct is to run <laughs> and i will i'm like i'm out bye but a lot of times maybe i should probably a lot of times i should run but sometimes i'm triggered and so i stop for a second and i look around i'm like i really want to run right now but do i want to because of this situation or because it reminds me of another situation and then uh, usually it's because of both. Um, but I have, I, I've, I've trained myself to wait, but I think I wait too long now. 
So um, do what you want to do. Just make sure that you've spent long enough, even if it's just a couple seconds, making sure that that's actually what you want to do. And even if it's not, you can always fix it later. For the most part, everything is kind of, you can always come back. So you give yourself that beat. Mm-hmm. Where like you have this reaction and you go, okay, just hang on a second, let it sit for a minute and then do it. Yes. I have made a lot less bad decisions doing that. Interesting. I still make bad decisions, but less. But bad decisions are so instructive. I have too. I've made some terrible decisions. Some of the worst. (laughs) Awful. But I've learned, I really have learned. um, And and they are instructive in a sense that they, it doesn't mean you're not going to make that same decision again, but at least it's illuminated something about yourself to yourself. If you're paying attention where you go, oh, I think this was about this or this was about that um that's at least kind of interesting to know yeah and if you thought in that moment unless you're super heavily triggered by something that that was the right thing then maybe it was you know a lot of times looking back on it is already with the knowledge that you gained by doing that which doesn't make sense it's like you you go to the store to buy something and then you have it and you're like I should never go to the store while you're like eating the thing you're buying. It's like <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't it, it makes sense if you don't think about what you're doing. But when you look at it, you're like, okay, that makes sense. I had to do that because now I can look back and say I wish I didn't have to do it that way with right. the knowledge that you gained. So if it feels right at the time. And it doesn't end up being right. I'm not talking about like, maybe you learned a bad habit. Like the only thing I've ever stolen in my life is a tampon. I was, I was like 13 or 14 years old. I didn't have any money and school wasn't handing out stuff. So I went to a place and I stole a tampon and the guy found out and he humiliated me in front of my friends and threw a box of tampons at me and said, pay for this. But it seemed like a good idea at the time. Like it seemed like a terrible idea, but it was also a state of necessity. So we're not talking about me stealing a tampon. We're talking about, (laughs) we're talking about, this feels like, like I need to do this in order to be happy. Like, you know, not like illegal, like that decisions, but decisions that are like, I think I should move to Guam, you know? I, you know, I always think that I should move to Guam. I'm always thinking like, you know, it's good. There's always something there that, uh, because because the, the Henry James story, the beast in the jungle, like the, the thing he learns, like he, something, someone tells him that something bad is going to happen to him. And so he lives his whole life worried about the bad thing. But the bad thing that's going to happen to him is that nothing's ever going to happen to him. Right. And that's sort of the paradox of, you might as well move to Guam or steal the tampon because the moment is electric <laughs> and you have to obey the electricity of the moment. You can't hide from it. I love that. I mean, it was a story, so. <laughs> right, right. That you will publicly tell on a podcast years later. But the, but the, I, but I totally understand the impulse of like, I just need to, I need to do this. This needs to happen. <laughs> it's not like it's not like you became a serial tampon stealer it's not like you were heading into a a life of 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 uh you know 
of crime, specific yeah. crime. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think the electricity of the moment, the feeling, um, that sort of the rawness of, um, of inspiration. This is great for creativity. This is great for um, life decisions. It's an important thing to, to sort of um, be in touch with, I think. I think so too. And, uh, and again, maybe that helps develop compassion. Exactly. Just going with it, do it. If it feels good, do it. Yeah. And yeah. also the way we look at other people too, the way we treat them, um, the way that we sort of understand or articulate to ourselves the decisions that they have made and being more sensitive to, to them and to ourselves is, is really important. Absolutely. The, the thing is, I could talk to you for nine more hours and I feel I've exhausted your goodwill and you're so kind to go so deep with me for so long. You're so nice to do this. Um, so are you. I'm really, oh. really glad. Best podcast ever. Still want a Tesla? I'll bet you don't. Wasn't that conversation amazing? Ariel, incredible. What an amazing chat. She's an astounding person, just a dynamic musician, you know, with this kind of like supernatural gift and uh, an amazing and generous conversationalist, an activist, a creative force. I, I don't know. She knocks me out. And there, there you have it. Uh, I am Ariel is where you need to go to find out everything about Ariel. And I should tell you, I am Ariel is I am a R I E L L E dot com. Alex green online.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. Bombshell radio.com will tell you all you need to know about our radio station. If you want to follow me on Twitter, please do so at embers editor or on Instagram at embers podcast, or just email me editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, tell a friend, rate and review. You know the drill. All that stuff really, really helps. Thank you, as always, for listening to our show week in and week out. We really appreciate it. 2022 is going to be massive. We've booked some amazing guests. I can't tell you who they are yet, but trust me, I will. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Ariel's Inside and Outside. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers of the Podcast, only on Bombshell Radio. Inside and outside, I like what I see. Inside and outside, you're the one for me. You don't pretend, and you don't hide. Inside and outside Inside and outside The weather's fine Inside and outside I can read your signs The road is clear Open wide 
Thank you.